Here's what I want to deal with today. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites or bellies. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And those are the verses I want to deal with. Verses 17-20. through Brothers and sisters, I've called my sermon Wolves and a Snake. And I think you can see the wolves in verse 17 and 18 are the ones Paul is saying to watch out for. The snake. Oh, you find him slithering around in verse 20, right? Satan. So my my, my sermon this morning is basically going to consist of two parts. I want to look at the wolves first, then second, we'll look at the snake. And, And it's very possible that there's a relationship to both of them being mentioned here so close to each other. Although you don't necessarily have to drag a connection over because Paul isn't real specific that he's making a connection, yet we might assume there's one. But we'll entertain that as we go along here. Brethren, it's a very strange and noticeable phenomenon. At least I find it to be so. And I suspect if you ask other preachers and teachers here, if you you say to them, is that true what Brother Tim said when he was preaching today? I suspect you're going to find there is this strange phenomenon that when we preach about a certain subject or certain situations, God tends to put the preacher in the circumstances he preaches about. You preachers ever notice that? You either just came through something, or you're in something, or there's something just around the corner that you don't see yet that has to do with exactly what you're preaching. The Lord just seems to want His men that are preaching and teaching to experience, and not just to have it theoretical. Or if it is a little bit too theoretical, he's probably thinking, I need to show him this isn't just theoretical. So, if I'm dealing with wolves and a snake, it may actually mean a wolf or a snake is somewhere near at hand. And let me tell you something about wolves and snakes. I'm sure you already know. They're both dangerous So we definitely want to stay alert to what God's Word has to say to us here. So look at the wolves first. Now you'll notice right off that Paul doesn't use that term here. He doesn't actually use either of these terms. But these terms are used in other places. And so I borrow from them. But you know the interesting thing about the term wolf here is it may not be... You know, it's it's obviously okay to borrow from another place in the Scripture. These sort of people are called wolves in other place. But Paul may have more of a direct reference in his own mind to wolves than, than what may at first appear right here on the surface. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 19. The second half of verse 19. But I want you to be 
wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Let me ask you this. You know what? There is only one other place in the whole Bible where those two words, wise and innocent, are used together. Only one other place. You have any idea? Anybody think of the text? Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And do you know what Paul or what Jesus himself says in the very context of saying that? Let me read the verse to you. That comes out of out of Matthew 10:16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, I, I, you know, Paul doesn't say specifically that he's borrowing from this, but I tend to believe that it is not a coincidence that he uses wise and innocent. I think he has an idea in his mind. I think in Paul's mind he probably sees the Romans like a bunch of sheep in the midst of wolves. And he says, watch out. Be careful. Be on the lookout. So, look at verse 17. Who is it that we're supposed to be watching out for? What do these wolves look like? Paul calls them, in verse 17, those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So you see two things that wolves do. What are they? They divide and they put obstacles, doctrinal obstacles in the way. That's what they do. The people we're supposed to watch out for will be doing one of these two things in the church or very often kind of a combination of both, right? I mean, it says they, divide, they cause division and... Well, it, that and could be, you know, and is a conjunction, it ties... It, it could be this... Or this, it could be the one or the other, but very often the division takes place in churches through doctrinal tensions and divisiveness, heresies that arise. But not always. And, and what I mean by that is it's possible sometimes that division comes into the church not necessarily through at least some overt um, heresy. Look, I want to make something very clear to you. By divisions, Paul means that such people... Now listen. He means that such people are trying to get a following. Now listen to this. Acts 20.29 I know that after my departure, this is Paul speaking, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then in verse 30, he says this, to draw away the disciples after them. This is how, this is how the wolf works. He comes in and he seeks to divide and what he is seeking to do is gather a following. He is seeking to draw people after him. He is seeking to take some of the, 
what, what we find here in the ESV, naive. To draw them away, pull them away. This dividing and drawing, listen to me. This dividing and drawing, you have to watch out for this. It is not necessarily doctrinal. Now there is a connection. You, you have the, they cause division and they put these obstacles, but, but sometimes when the wolf comes in, it, it, isn't, it isn't a seeming doctrinal division that he's trying to cause, or she. It isn't just men, it can be women as well. Sometimes the division that the wolf tries to cause is a personality division. What, what do I mean by that? Well, didn't you see that kind of somewhat at Corinth? You definitely, listen, just like there's real people at Rome, there were real people at Corinth. And what happens? Paul has to rebuke them. You guys are saying you're of Peter. You guys are over here saying you're of Paul. You're of Apollos. You see, sometimes the factions and the divisions come in followings of personalities. It doesn't necessarily have to be very specifically a doctrinal division. You guys remember Absalom? Now, although he wasn't specifically a pastor or set forth in the Scriptures as a, as a false prophet or a false apostle or anything like that, I want you to hear what he did because there's a description given in the Old Testament about Absalom that is a perfect description of what these wolves tend to look like when they come into our midst. Listen to this. Speaking of Absalom, 2 Samuel 14.25, you, you don't need to turn there because I'm going to move through some things fast here, but listen to this. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. Can I tell you something? Wolves tend to be good looking. And I don't mean just their physical appearance. I mean they're smooth. See, and even the way I say that, smooth, it almost sounds like whether well, there's something suspiciously smooth. Well, we should be suspicious, but actually they come across in a way that is smooth that isn't suspicious. That's what makes them so dangerous. They look good, folks. It's not that you look at them and, well, they kind of look good, but something seems just not... They look good. He comes along. Folks, the, the, the guy, the wolf that comes in that seeks to divide... They deceive because their appearance is just so nice. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Now listen to this. You jump forward a little bit to 2 Samuel 15.1. Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. You see what he's doing? He's drawing some attention to himself. These guys draw attention to themselves. They look good and they like to look good, and they like to have a following, and they like to get people to notice them, and they like to make friends in the church, and they like to get the crowd standing around them. They like that. They like to blow the trumpets. 
And Absalom used to rise early. These people aren't just the sluggards. They're rising early. They got an agenda. They're, they're, they're on the ball. You know, they're over there, and they're over there, and they're over there, and they're getting involved in that, and they're getting involved over here, and boy, it seems like they're running all over the place. They're getting up early, and he would stand beside the way of the gate, and when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment. Now, who was the king? It was his father, David. And they have a dispute, and they're coming to Jerusalem to deal with the dispute Absalom would call to him and say, well, from what city are you? He's showing interest in him. That's what the wolf is like. He shows an interest in people. When he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right. Flattery. Agreement. You've got a good case. But there is no man designated by the king to hear you. They tend to not attack the present leadership outright, but there are these insinuations. It would be nice if the king had a man, but he probably just doesn't care about you enough to have a man designated to really take care of your case. You know, there's this insinuation there, David really isn't on the ball. David really isn't concerned. David really isn't the nice guy that I am because if he was, then he'd be here where I am concerned about you like I am. You see what's going on there? Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Then Absalom did to all of Israel who, or thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. You see what's going on? Now, folks, this is exactly a kind of situation that happened down at Community Baptist Church. When Craig and I were down there, a man came in from outside the church, and way too fast, he was, he was made a co-pastor in the church. Made a co-pastor, it was back in the mid-90s, and you know what he would do and say basically what Absalom said. If he found one of the brethren with a grievance against the pastor of the church, he would say, you're good and right. Just like Absalom. Kind of like, oh, that I were a judge in the land. I'd take care of this thing. You're right to find fault. You're right there's an issue. He would basically take people's gripes and people's grievances against the other pastor and he would give ear to it. Not only would he give ear to it, he'd fan the fire. Folks, I'll tell you what eventually happened. God's man rose up eventually and said, these charges are being leveled against me out there in secret. And that's where the wolf operates. In secret. Now sometimes when they get enough of a following, they'll come public. Because they believe, like Absalom did, did he not? Once he had a big enough following, what does he do? He comes public and he drives David out. 
But typically they start out in kind of subtle fashion. As soon as Pat called this guy to the floor, if you've got charges against me, level them publicly. The man didn't even come to the meeting and he left the church. And that's basically the conduct of a wolf. Folks, beware of those who cause divisions. And I would tell you this, beware of those who speak evil of the leadership, especially of the teachers and preachers, the pastors of this church. Beware of that. Because typically these guys are coming for... That's where they aim most often as they're trying to bring that kind of division. Beware of those who speak evil to you about those in leadership positions. Now listen, that is not to say that elders are beyond censor, that they're beyond rebuke, and that they're even beyond church discipline. That's not the case at all. But Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence or of two or three witnesses. There's, a, there's an appropriate way. So brethren, watch out for those who cause divisions. But Paul adds a second identifying characteristic of these people. Romans 6.17 I appeal to you brothers not only to watch out for those who cause divisions, but watch out for those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Now brethren, create an obstacle. An obstacle to doctrine. This is not just simply, I'm trying to learn about election, and this guy tripped me up a little bit as I was coming to my understanding of it. That's not the idea here. Obstacle is a word in the original that means the trigger of a trap. It is the same kind of obstacle that Paul... Paul uses the same terminology when he talks about Jesus Christ at the end of Romans 9 where he says that He is a stumbling block. He is this obstacle to the Jews. It, you know what? This is the idea of a stumbling stone that causes people to trip into hell. That's what Christ was to the Jews. Now, he's, yes, He came to save, but to the Jews, He was a stumbling block and they tripped over Him to their destruction. That's the idea. This is, this is somebody that comes in. Folks, this isn't somebody that comes in and they have an issue about whether or not we ought to have wine at the Lord's table. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about somebody who wants to observe Christmas or not. We're not talking about somebody that's got an issue, you know, whether we ought to eat a certain kind of food or observe a certain kind of day or, or drink wine or not. That's not what we're talking That's Paul dealt with that stuff over in Romans 14. He says, let every one of you be certain. Let every one of you be convinced. Let every one of you have your own convictions. He's basically saying about all those things, it's possible to honor and glorify God whatever... <laughs> Sorry, sister. Whatever place you happen to fall in those things. But this is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something that is an obstacle, a heretical doctrine 
that has the potential of leading to damnation. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 2.17. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Verse 18, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some. You say upsetting. Is that like what? Mildly angry? That's not what it means. The term upset means to overthrow, to overturn, to destroy, to subvert. They're causing men to make shipwreck of the faith. They're causing men to swerve away from the body of truth that's been committed to the church. Brethren, I want you to be really, really clear about this. We're to watch out for those who seek to come in here to divide, and we need to watch out for those who come in here seeking to proclaim some sort of teaching that leads us away from the body of truth that has been committed to us in God's Word. We're not talking about small issues here. We're talking about the major things. Listen to how Peter says, 2 Peter 2.1, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That means a type of heresy that brings perishing, ruin, loss. The King James Version actually says damnable heresies. That gives you a feel, right? Damnable heresies. In other words, when somebody comes into the church and they're spreading those types of errors that prevents people from holding, laying hold on eternal life, Okay. Maybe you don't get a feel for the danger. When I started this message out and I told you there may be a wolf or a snake at hand. Brethren, I'm saying you ought to fear. You ought to be awake. You ought to be aware. And you ought to be watchful. Because I don't believe that if we continue to give ourselves as we have to evangelism, to missions, to benevolence, to helping the poor, to preaching truth, to being committed to the Word of God, we're seeing, we're, we're seeing people saved, folks. I just... I, I don't want to tell you who it is, but I just had a young lady about a week ago come and say, Pastor Tim, God just showed me something this week. I said, really what? That Christ died for all my sins. And I thought, wow, that's pretty major. <laughs> but brethren, when we have God saving and God revealing truth and God using us and being involved in church plants and being involved in foreign missions, the devil has schemes against us and he will come to seek to... Look, community, when we were at community, when Craig and I first went there, they were like I perceive us to be now. And I'll tell you what, there were attempts made to infiltrate there. And I've got to believe that it is only a matter of time. I'm not saying it already hasn't happened. But we need to be aware. And I want to give you just some general observations about wolves. A few general startling facts that maybe you haven't thought about. And our New Testament gives these people a variety of names. Besides wolves, they're called dogs. Beware of the dogs. 
Paul says it to the Philippians. Some are called by Christ, false Christ. Anybody think of a false Christ? Who? I mean, what, what would be an example of a false Christ? Well, probably... probably he doesn't claim to be, right? But the Pope would be a good one. He claims to be a vicar of Christ, an actual representative. I was thinking, who's the guy that was in that compound up in Waco? David Koresh. He claimed to be the Messiah. We've got those running around claiming to be the Messiah. Who was the guy over in Florida? Remember that guy? They, they claim to be Christ. That is a false Christ when they claim to be Christ. What does the Scripture also call guys like this? Some of them are called false apostles. You see that kind of verbiage in 2 Corinthians? How about probably the most familiar false prophet? Or, what is it? I think it's Peter that uses the term false teacher. These are some of the, some of the descriptions. They're also called by John. What does John like to call them? Two words he likes to use. Deceivers and antichrists. Plural. You say, what? We can have anti, an antichrist come in here? I, I thought he had horns and 666 stamped on his head. <laughs> Brethren, John says men, many antichrists have, are out here in the world. Many Antichrist. You say, really? We could get one in here? Yes, that's exactly who Paul is telling us to watch out for. They're out there. And they may be sitting in here right now, and you don't know who they are. But here's the thing. Oh, I'll tell you something else Paul calls them. In the Philippian letter, he calls them enemies of the cross. Now listen to this. 2 Peter 2.1 False prophets also arose among the people. He's speaking about the past. In the past history, false prophets have risen up. Now listen to this. Just as there will be false teachers among you. What I want you to see there, certainty. They will be among you. Why does Christ tell us to watch out. Why does Paul say, watch out? Why does Peter say, and Jude say? Because they're there. They're here. Certainty. Let me give you a second truth. 2 John 1.7 For many deceivers have gone out into the world. What I want you to see, there's a certainty they're here, and there's a certainty that there's many of them. Let me give you another many text. This is, this is not John, this is Christ. And many false prophets will arise. They will! There's the certainty again. And it's certain that not just some, many. Look, if we're trying to do the work of the Lord, and be faithful to His Word. Can I tell you this? Satan targets those who are most dangerous to Him. 
He is not concerned with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They are His servants already. He is concerned with stopping the work of Christ. Who in the world do you think He's, he's not infiltrating the nightly news? He's infiltrating the church. And especially those churches that are most dangerous to Him. And there's not going to just be a few. There's a certainty there's going to be many. And listen to what Christ says. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Here's the thing. There's a certainty they're going to be there. There's a certainty they're going to be here. There's going to be many of them. And there's a certainty that many are going to follow after them. In other words, they're effective. That doesn't mean all are effective. Some of them, some of them you do see coming from a long way away. But, well, let's just, let's just talk a little bit more about this. We find this. There not only is a certainty, there's not only a multitude, they're not only effective. We find that the ones who are effective, they have more than just a natural charisma about them. They actually have a satanic, supernatural endowment of some sort. In other words, their sweet words and very desirable personality may not just be due to their parents' influence and their upbringing and who God naturally made them. This may be demonic. Matthew 24.24, false Christ, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Wow. Brethren, how is that possible? You know why so many are deceived? You know why it's almost even possible that the elect... It's not possible. It says, if it was possible. It's not possible. But they are so cunning. They have demonstrations of apparently supernatural, I would say supernatural personalities, supernatural works, supernatural expressions, things that are unexplainable on the human realm, that tend, even if it were possible, they could deceive. This is, we're not talking about something. If, if, look, if it, if it were possible, this would even deceive the elect. That means. This is so well disguised that if you are not with God's help, with God's power and grace discerning and watching, you're not going to see this. And, and I believe that Paul might very well have verse 20 in Romans 16 there for a reason. It's because there may definitely be in his mind, I mean, he may have jumped right over to the devil because he's talking about these wolves. He, in his own mind, has a connection between wolves and the devil. But listen to this. 
1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Let me tell you, when these wolves come into our midst, they actually have doctrines that are demonically inspired. Not only does the devil work through them to give them abilities they would not have if he wasn't working through them, but he is also the one giving them their doctrine. And he is cunning. He is a liar. He is a murderer. And he knows how to murder the souls of men. He's been doing it from the beginning. And if you think you're going to outwit him without supernatural enablement, from God Himself. Now, He that is with us is greater. But we have to stay alert. Pray. Stay alert. Stay watchful. If this church goes to sleep, they're coming in. They're going to come in. And Satan's watching for the chance. You've got to believe it, brethren. He's watching for the chance. And if we fall asleep, that's where He hits us. Satan is no fool. He knows to strike where churches are the weakest, not where the strongest. You don't, you don't typically send your forces right at the lookouts. You try to come in the back door. You try to come in where there isn't a lookout. Let me tell you something else. 2 Corinthians 11 says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They're Satan's servants. They are serving His purposes in His power with His doctrine. You are not just up against flesh and blood. Is that not what we're told? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle, folks, is in an unseen world. Satan is maneuvering. He is moving. Demons are watching. We know they come in here, they pick up the seed of the Gospel when it's preached, but we also know He is scheming, He is seeking to divide, and He is seeking to draw you away after His servants. Not just so that you end up going to another church. He's seeking to draw you away into damnation. And it's not going to look like that. His servants don't come in here with a big sign with an arrow saying this way to hell and destruction. Come follow me. That's not what they come in. And and that, by the way, brings me to a fifth observation. Not only the certainty, the multitude, the effectiveness, the power, but the disguise. Did you catch what was said there? Such men are false apostles, deceitful worker, disguising themselves. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They don't come in here saying, Hey folks, I'm a wolf. Check me out. I'm coming to divide and devour. I just wanted you to be aware. That isn't, it may seem funny, but it's not going to happen that way. Listen to what Christ says. Beware of false prophets who come to you, how? 
in sheep's clothing. When they walk through that door for the first time, they're going, bah! They're not howling like a wolf. And we look at them. Oh, looks like a sheep. That's great. Got a sheep at the door. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. Peter says, false teachers will secretly bring in these damnable heresies. Secret. Disguise. Dressed like sheep. Paul says this to Timothy, those who creep into households. They creep. What does it mean to creep? The other day, Ruby and the girls had all left and Joshua was downstairs and he was sitting in a chair and I came down real quiet. And I came across the whole thing and I just tugged on the hair on the back of his neck and he like, looked back. He's... That's what it is to creep. It's to get somewhere and able to do something to a person who wasn't aware that you were coming to do that. Creepers. They sneak. Paul calls them in 2 Timothy 3.13, imposters. Jude says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Jude says again, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds, slept along with winds, fruitless trees. Let me ask you this, what's a hidden reef? They're a fear of sailors. A coral reef. It's hidden because it's underwater. There are reefs that build up and come above the water, but a hidden reef is hidden because it's hidden below the surface of the water. And why is that such a bad thing? Because if your ship strikes it, it sinks you. It's hidden. You don't see it, but it's destructive. Brethren, stealth is the name of their deadly game. Just think about our text, Romans 16.18. By smooth talk and flattery. Brethren, smooth means fair. Tyndale says sweet. Their talk is sweet. And that term flattery is an interesting one. You think about the flatter, you think, oh, well, I can see that come. Brethren, that word actually has an attachment. Its meaning has to do with blessing. It's like you look at them, they're a blessing. They come into the church and suddenly people love them. They're, they love to be around them. All of a sudden, everybody's saying, hey, you meet that guy, you heard about them, they're nice people. Now look, True Christians can be really nice people too. I'm not saying that everybody like that is, is... I hope not. I mean, we want a church full of nice people. But I'm saying these are people that come in and they have this satanically empowered personality and ability and words. And it's, it's nice. It's a blessing. People feel blessed to be around them. Brethren, it's, 
you know, sometimes we have this, even though this sounds funny, sometimes we have this idea they're going to come in, 666 stamped on their forehead, speaking in a demonic baritone, you know, ah, I'm here to divide you. That's not it. They come in and they're smooth. Now listen, you guys think about history. How many of you know about the Arians? What did the Arians believe? Christ was not God. Jesus Christ said, right in the context of saying He came down from above, He says, if you believe not that I am, or I am He, but I am, it seems to be the same kind of word used there when He says, before Abraham was, I am. If you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. The Arians. Can I tell you about Arius? Listen to this. Listen to what... One of his biographers says about him, Arius, by the way, died in 336 A.D., adamantly denied the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what his biographer says. Here was a bright, energetic, attractive fellow, the kind of citizen whom any Rotary Club would welcome, singing sea chanties in dockside pubs and teaching Bible stories to the Wednesday night faithful. This was an immensely popular man. His story reminds us that heresy does not bludgeon us into belief we are sed- or into unbelief. We are seduced. How about Socinus? You guys know about the Socinians? What did they believe? Anybody know? Same thing. They. Now he came along later. The Socinians came along. Socinus died in 1604. Listen to what was said about him. He was a gentleman. His morals were above reproach. He distinguished himself by his unfailing courtesy. Unfailing courtesy was remarkable in an age when even the great Protestant leaders... And what's happening here is the writer is comparing Socinus with Luther and Calvin. He said Luther and Calvin were rough guys. They had vile street language when arguing with their opponents. Unlike Socinus who was suave. He was the gentleman. Mark it down, folks. Listen, you know what this tells you? And I can remember this when this man came into Community Baptist Church, I'll tell you this, Pat Horner was God's man. But Pat has some rough edges. And what happens is, the smooth guy comes in and he hits those rough edges. And and what happens is, when the guy, the true God-called man, with his rough edges, comes to confront Mr. Gentleman, guess what it looks like to people? He's just being a hard guy. He's beating up on Mr. Nice Guy. And you see, that can even sometimes go to, to swell that following. That's how. I, let me tell you this. When the wolf comes and you have to confront him, you are generally going to get bit when you do it. Because you're going to come across as the bad guy. Because this person has got a following... They're nice, they're smooth, they've pulled people after them. Brethren, beware. Beware. Watch out for them. Learn to spot them. How do you spot them? Well, folks, they divide. 
how they how they divisive. Typically, when you're alone with them, they're in your house, you're in their house, you're at the, you're somewhere off, you're walking with them, you're wherever, even out in the parking lot. They're like Absalom. They question things. They don't outright attack many times, but they'll question things. They question, well, why are you guys, you know, why would Brother Tim do that? Now, why in the world would you have James leading the Grace House? Why do you guys do that? Don't you know that there's, that there's a questioning of the way things are... That doesn't mean we can't question the way things are done. That doesn't mean that... It, it, changes sometimes need to be made, but they're ten, generally people that come in and they're subtly questioning and attacking, especially the leadership. Watch out for them. They tend to be people who, in all their smoothness, they will slander and they will gossip because they have to to pull people after them. They will confront something. They will confront the true leaders in their words that are subtle and sly. And listen, the naive. You know what naive means? It's not a negative word actually. It's unsuspecting. It's innocent people. They come alongside and they find those people who aren't watchful and they say, well, you know, Tell me about it, brother. You know, they're in the conversation. You're saying, well, there's something at this church I don't really like, and they like to fan the flames. Well, tell me about that. Well, I agree with you. Sounds a lot like Absalom. Not, did you go talk to that brother, or have you talked to the leaders? But they like to fan it. You see, they like to encourage the language and the fault-finding, and they insinuate things, and they like to do that. Rather than being real biblical and saying, hey, if you've got a problem with the elder, you really should go talk to him. Or if you've got a problem with that brother so-and-so, you've got a problem with what Brother Craig talked about this morning, you should go talk to him. You see, they're not into doing things the biblical way, the righteous way. They're subtle. And they come along and they'll try to encourage you to go and bend you away from what is proper and what is right. They're trying to pull you in. They seem like they're siding with you. And in fact, in their words, they are. But they're looking for a following. They're looking, they're not people who come along and want to see primarily people following Christ. They want people following them. They want people giving them the attention. There is a subtle, there is a pride that festers at the root of all this. Their doctrine. Brethren, damnable doctrine. You look at the Scriptures, what kind of things? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me tell you this. It comes down to this. Christ, Christ, Christ. It says in verse 18, they don't serve Christ. You can be certain of this. The damnable doctrines are the ones... Doesn't, doesn't Peter say that kind of thing to us? He says that they... Well, it's actually Jude. He says... They pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what they do. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the work of Christ. And they deny the Master Himself. They deny Christ. That's what John says, right? You can tell them because they're denying. They're not con- Those who confess certain things about Christ, that He's the Son of God, that He came in the flesh, He's saying those are the real ones. Brethren, 
This is when they come in and they're bringing destructive heresies. Watch this. It always attacks Christ, it attacks his work. Be certain of it. And they're distorting the grace of God. You heard what Craig said this morning. Basically, the truth all over the Bible is that if you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it transforms you. You are born again, you are new creatures. The old passes away. There is a once what you were, and now what you are. And it's radically different. And those that come along and say, yes, you can go to heaven, but you can still have your sin. By the way, that's prevalent everywhere. That is the... Te- Listen, you, when people say, oh, well, he's one of those non-lordship guys. Mark it down! He's a false prophet! That is an attack on the grace of God. They turn the grace of God into sensuality. Basically what they're saying, live like hell, go to heaven. That is a lie from the pit. And it is everywhere today. Watch out. These are the essentials. Listen, when Jesus Christ... I was in a church like this. They said, repentance, you're adding something to the Gospel. When Jesus Christ says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish... What am I adding to the Gospel? I'm adding nothing! I'm saying what Christ said! If He said you must be born again, brethren, we've got to insist. I was just listening recently and Ian Paisley, many of you have heard the story, visiting 76-year-old woman he called grandmother. He said, Grandmother, I'm here today to tell you, you must be born again. She said, Ian, you have no right to come in here and tell me that. You know I don't go for that. I've been a good Presbyterian for 76 years. Attend church all the time. I've never done anybody any harm. If anybody's getting to heaven, it's me. And Ian said, Grandmother, you must be born again. And he said, I realize this probably ends our friendship. And he said he walked to the door and he discerned a little tear in her eye. And he said, Grandmother, is this it? Are you saying goodbye? Not to me, but to Christ. And she broke and she said, Ian, is it possible that Christ could forgive a 76-year-old wicked woman? Brethren, we must be born again. People that come along and they espouse a Christianity where that isn't there. And these look, I'll tell you this, they don't serve Christ. You know what they serve? Their appetites. Now you may not see it. An Arius may come along, a Socinus may come along, they may seem like real good guys, but let me tell you what's at the root of it. Idolatry. They want to satisfy their appetites. They are men who They're driven by greed. They're driven by appetites, by sexual lust. They're driven by desires for power, applause, recognition. They want to be made much of. And you know what? It talks about them deceiving and being deceived. Listen, they don't come in always knowing, I'm a servant of Satan. Because they themselves are deceived. They are typically deceived by this demonic doctrine so that they don't see it either. And coming in, being driven by their lust, that's that's another way you're going to tell them. 
Listen, just watch people. They're really nice, but watch them. Are they loose with the tongue? Are they loose with their lifestyle? Do they easily stretch the truth? They easily slander. They're, they're not very cautious about stealing. They'll take stuff on the internet. They'll take copyrighted stuff. They, they don't have any problem speeding. Yeah, so what? The Bible says obey those that with the authority. I don't care. So what if it says obey the king? I, I don't think I have to here. They take license. They take liberty. Watch, folks. Watch. They don't serve Christ. Well, let me just say by way of closing, the snake. Brethren, isn't that amazing? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I was sitting up late the other night, and I'm just thinking, Paul, why don't you say God of peace? All right, think about it. The God of peace is going to crush his head. Paul, why didn't you say the God of war, the God of wrath, the God of fury is going to crush His head? The God of peace is going to crush Satan shortly. I just felt... But then you know what? It started to hit me. I started to think about this and I thought, you know, I have a feeling that He's doing basically what Christ did. You remember what Christ sent His 70... And they came back to Him and they were rejoicing. You remember that? They were rejoicing. And He said, look, don't rejoice just because these demons give way before you. He said, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And I think it's the same kind of thing. I think it's this. Look, folks, those of us that are real, we're going to make it. He that is with us is stronger And He that is with us is for us and we're in His palm and He's taken us to the end. And we, by way of Christ, remember, it's Christ. It's the offspring of the woman that's going to crush His head. He's going to bite His heel, but that heel, that same heel He bites is going to crush His head, folks. And what it says is all things are being put under His feet. By putting them under our feet, we, the body, the church of Christ, He is working through us to crush His head. That's how it's working. And I think what He's saying is this, the same thing Christ said. He said, look, as you think about crushing His head, as you think about the battle, as you think about the battle scars, as you think about wolves coming into your midst and seeking to devour the flock and to lead astray people after them to their damnation. Remember, the one that crushes his head is a God of peace. And I think he's basically saying to God's people, you know, in the midst of all this crushing, you're at peace. Rejoice! Your names are written in glory. Yes, there's a battle, and the devil may put some of you in prison. Isn't that what's said in the Word? He may kill some of us. He may kill many of us eventually. Brethren, I end with this, and don't, I don't want you to fall asleep because this is worth hearing. Johann Christoph Blumhart. Who's that guy?
He was a Lutheran pastor. A friend of Andrew Murray's. He lived in the early 1800's. There's a little book called Bloomheart's Battle. He had a woman in his church that demons took hold of. Her name was Gottlieben. He's German. She's German. Listen to this. I took this out of the book. The demons possessing Gottlieben had a terror of the abyss. Now you have to understand, this guy fought with these demons in this girl for two years. And he began to realize that by the only the, the demons were subtle and they sought to move him away from this. But he realized in these two years, the way you fight demons, when you wrestle against that which is not flesh and blood, you have to use the weapons of warfare that have been committed to us by God. He went to truth. He was much in the Word and praying and fasting. And he said that text, this kind goes out by prayer and fasting. He held to these things. He fought. The demons possessing Gottlieben had a terror of the abyss which they felt near now and said, you, and they were speaking to Bloomheart, you are our worst enemy, but we too are your enemies. And they said this, if only we could as we would, oh, if only there were no God in heaven. But basically what they were saying is what we would do to you if God was not holding us back. Brethren, when we came over there to, to our place on Hackberry, this woman in a demonic voice charged across the street at me and it was God put out His hand and stopped her in His tracks. I read or, or heard John Piper talking about a Bible study they were having. Some of the people in the church, and all of a sudden, demon-possessed girls start yelling around in all these different voices and she grabs this knife and the Christians stood in front of the door and weren't going to let her out until a couple of the elders from the church got there. And she would take that knife and come up and she could only make the point go to about there. She, could, she never did stab any of them. Same kind of thing. Woman stopped dead in her tracks. Here they are. They're telling him outright. Oh, if only there were no God in heaven. One particular demon spoke out of Katerina. There wasn't just Gottlieb and there was Katerina. They were both sisters. They both were having these issues. One particular demon spoke out of Katerina. A demon called the worst of all. Bloomheart was coming off 40 hours of being awake and fasting and says, as great as my effort was, I clearly felt a divine protection so that I did not feel the slightest tiredness or weariness. Not even after 40 hours of waking, fasting, and wrestling. The Spirit identified itself as a prominent angel of Satan, as the chiefest of all magic, which had received power from Satan for this very work. Suddenly, toward 12 midnight, it seemed as though it beheld the open, fiery abyss. Then out of the girl's throat roared several times, and lasting about 15 minutes, or quarter of an hour, one long cry of despair with such violent strength that it seemed the house would collapse. Nothing more horrible can be thought of, and it could not be, but half the town's inhabitants got knowledge of the battle. 
I mean, folks, this was this shook that house. It was heard throughout this town, not without special fright. Even though the demons seemed to be all fear and despair, its defiance was nonetheless no less gigantic. Such a horrifying mixture of despair, malice, defiance, and pride has hardly ever been seen anywhere. Finally, the most moving moment came which no one can possibly imagine adequately who was not an eye or ear witness. At 2 a.m., the supposed angel of Satan roared. The girl, her head bent over backwards, over the back of the seat. She was contorted in half. Upper part of her body back over the backrest of the chair. And with a voice of which one can hardly have believed a human throat even capable these words came out of her mouth. Jesus is victor. Jesus is victor. Words that sounded so far and were understood at such a distance that they made an unforgettable impression upon many people. And the demon was gone and never came back. Brethren, I am telling you, the old serpent is real. But the name of Christ. There's one place in that book where that one of the demons there. It seemed like there there were she was like legion. There were thousands, but there was one that just said, "I hate that name. I hate that name, brethren." There is power in that name. Let me let me tell you something. Jesus said to those seventy sent out, "I have given you authority to tread. To tread. That means under the foot, folks." to tread on these scorpions and serpents. Brethren, the wolves and the snakes are real. They're here. The battle is real. You need to stay awake. And our battle is going to be won by spiritual weapons. Pray and stay alert. Pray for our missionaries. There is an adversary and he is roaming about seeking to devour. Folks, in Christ we have victory. His name has authority. Those of us that have been purchased, we are guaranteed. Brethren, I leave you with this word. Revelation 12.10 And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And God help us, brethren. May that text have reality, life, power. Amen. You're dismissed.